Este año es el 160 cumpleaños de alguien que cautivó a celebrities, que hizo que un gesto se convirtiera en icono, que alargó aperitivos, patrocinó campeonatos, nos sumergió en la bella Italia y que se convirtió en el cóctel del agente secreto más famoso del cine. Brindemos por otros 160 años de buen gusto. Martini, disfruta de un consumo responsable. And welcome to It's Time to Talk as part of Wolves Fancast. My name is Matt Guy. I'm going to be your host for this series, talking about mental health and what it means to us in our everyday lives and kind of bringing mental health to the forefront of our conversations. I'm here with two stalwarts of the Fancast who are very kindly asked to join me today. So I'm here first of all with Adam. Evening, guys. How are we doing? And I'm here with Andy. Hi, everybody. Cheers, guys, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. It's not the easiest thing to volunteer to do, and it does take a lot of thought, really, to openly come out and, and talk about mental health in a world that potentially it isn't cool to talk about mental health or it's not the in thing when you're sat around a pub or you're around playing FIFA to talk about mental health or, or something like that. So what I want to do on this podcast is break it down into a way that we all can understand it and actually get to the realisation that mental health isn't something that we should be ashamed of talking about or it isn't a stigma or it's not something that actually in reality will make you look or feel any less of a bloke or make you feel weakness or anything like that. So bear with us and we're going to try and tackle some of the stigmas that come with talking about mental health. On this podcast, we have done some episodes before, and I do urge you to look back in the archives at some of the It's Time to Talk episodes. Um, there's some really, really good work that was done by our previous uh, host, David Evans, and I really, really urge you to listen back as well, because you might find some use in those episodes also. So for today's episode, we're going to be joined by two guests. One of them is Sam Evans, who's a close friend of mine that has documented his mental health journey on Facebook via Facebook videos. Um, somebody I've known a long, long time, and he's really come to the forefront of being a champion of mental health within um, the community that he is a part of. And he's really into kind of rap music and rock music. And he's not the kind of person that you would expect to be a champion of mental health. But it goes to show that, you know, we all have mental health and there's a part of us that is able to talk about it. And he's it's a really, really interesting interview that we have with him. We're also joined by Rachel Smith from the Wolves Foundation talking about the good work that they do. So we'll listen to them a little later on. So, gents, I want to start with you guys and actually just ask the question, what does mental health mean to you? When I say the words mental health, what do you think of? Adam? I think, I mean, it can cover a broad brush of things, can't it, really? But I think for me... It's kind of about being almost like being very resilient and how you deal with the kind of varying emotions and 
the varying challenges that that life can can throw at you. And I think it's one thing to appreciate as well that how differently everyone handles things that they come across in life, and how one one thing can one person can approach something differently, another person can approach it completely a different way. And I mentioned about being resilient because it's all, with mental health, people with who suffer from mental health can perhaps not be as resilient as others who have good mental health. And, you know, thankfully in, in recent years, we've seen a lot of uh, more education and awareness about mental health to try and make people tackle these th- problems and tackle these issues much more than has been in, in recent years. Certainly when I was a teenager, nothing like what we've got today you know as regards to the awareness and the tools to tackle you know mental health problems um and i think it can probably take on you know while we do call it mental health and there's also probably a physical element to it as well both we know there's probably links between exercise and, and, and good mental health and i don't know hobbies and mental health as well things just to start to try and prevent you from getting into um a rut so I think just on a just a final bit point for me also with about mental health it's not so much that people have to suffer with anything to to pass a mental health problem just general healthy people do things to try and maintain good mental health to keep themselves sharp to keep their brains sharp mm-hmm. so it's a very I know it's a, it's a very broad brush and a lot of things to cover but as we'll probably delve into a lot more mental health there's a, there's a lot of things you can delve into about it and there's a lot of different variances of it as well yeah absolutely and i mean need to preface this really by saying none of us on the call here um certainly between us on the fan cast are mental health experts i've had a little bit of training with work when it comes to mental health but apart from that none of us are you know qualified medical experts so everything that you're going to hear is kind of relating to our own experiences and the experiences of those around us so it's important actually if you guys have the same kind of experiences you're not out you know you're not alone out there we're just three ordinary people um that just like to talk about wolves a lot <laughs> so <laughs> do you know what i mean we're not we're not we're, you know we're not by any means medical experts or anything like that it's just something that you know that we're all passionate about andy in your experience mental health when I think of mental health, I only ever think of mental health from a negative point of view. And actually, mental health is a state of mind. It's it's a spectrum. There's good mental health. There's bad mental health. In your in your experience, is it something you know in your workplace, or is it something in your social life that you know you are comfortable talking about, and it's something that regularly gets talked about in your kind of social circles? Um, it, it wasn't previously. Like I think, as Adam said, you know, it was there was a stigma around it, even up until like three or four years ago and then all of a sudden it seems to have been a bit of a sea change where actually discussing mental health is it's a much more healthy thing to do and it much like you know you would go to the doctors if you've got i don't know pancreatitis or whatever if you've got an actual illness you would go to the doctors and discuss it i think that discussing your mental health is almost as important as like checking up on your physical health Mm -hmm. just having a conversation and asking like it's, if someone says to you, how are you? And you just go, yeah, I'm all right. That's not having a conversation about it, is it? Mm-hmm. It's generally sitting there. Like, you know, when this second lockdown kicked in, Matt, you were the first person I text. And I was like, I've got a really good uh, routine at the gym. 
And I've got to admit, I'm really worried about this because knocking me out of this routine mm-hmm. and fitness sort of helps with mental health, as, as Adam pointed out. I was worried. And obviously, I turned to my friend to say, it's a bit shit, isn't it? What are we going to do to get through it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you are right that there are that that element to it. And having that conversation is a positive because you know that there is someone else out there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like many things in like like trying to like I'm trying to learn Italian, not very well, I might add, but I'm trying to learn Italian. And the first step is actually getting that first e lesson on, or getting that first audio book, listening to it. And actually, the first step in a, in a lot of actually discussing mental health is actually having that initial conversation with people because you know you know when you're talking to somebody you know we're not stupid people you know when someone's not interested when you're talking to them like there's the body gives off so many verbal like verbal and non-verbal cues and stuff that actually when you allow yourself that bit of vulnerability to talk to somebody about your mental health it's terrifying in the idea that actually they're not going to reciprocate that back um i know you know in my in some of my experiences i've been like needing to talk to somebody but not being able to purely on the whether it be ego whether it be worrying about he's going to get around at work or or these sort of things are in place they'll actually stop you doing that but i think companies especially in the workplace now will understand the impact of mental health not only on their members of staff but in terms of like attendance at work and, and, and things like that as well it's a huge huge um ideology really i guess that's not really the right word but it's it's a huge factor now that workplaces didn't really experience before i mean adding your workplace if you know has it been a focus on mental health recently or, or in the last few years or is it something that you know generally you've found on tv radio media is something that's come to the forefront so i mean i've been with my employer for 18 years and in that time in the last couple of years i've, we, I've seen a massive change of mentality when it comes to mental health we, we've now got so many things at, at our workplace and you know I'm, I'm purely talking there just just from my workplace alone so i appreciate that others might not have the same uh, sort of mantra at, at their own uh, place of employment but at my place we've got so many so much more support material and hubs on like our internet site about mental health and resilience and you know, especially since lockdown come in, we've saw like you know a lot of our a lot of uh, teams in their place have pra- preached and practiced good mental health, trying to get, as Andy says, get a get a routine in. So, okay, if you've if you've lost your commute into work, we can replace it with something else. So, can you get out before you you start your work? You go for a walk, a run, a cycle, walk your dog, get out during the afternoon for a walk. Um, you know, anything, anything at all and we've got um sort of hotlines you can call as well like workplace support where you know you can call up and discuss your um your issues and how they can help you you know and, and i've tried that as well we'll get into this later probably but i've tried that to varying degrees of success um but yeah with our employment my, my, my place employment we were really really good at it now i think there was a probably when I first started all that all that time ago, there's probably stigma attached to it of where if you're going off um, work with a, a mental illness, you you know you might have been talk of the office for for, yep. for while while you're off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you guys might have you know might have 
experienced similar where you know that while you're off people are all saying oh you know, what's what's adam off for what's what's wrong with him and he's like the office psycho or, or something like that <laughs> or so that he's, he's, he's a mentalist um which is wrong he's playing wrong you know it's, it's the wrong way to, to look at it and it's, it's in no way a helpful attitude but you know thankfully now you know I'm, i myself previously have been off off work you know stressed away to the illness and you don't get any that's that stigma no at all Thank, thankfully you know you get a lot of support from from management and i think kind of part of that has been instilled in in, in the culture just you know yeah. it's, it's mm. In no way can you stigmatise someone for have, for going off with a with a mental illness, and it's the right it's the right attitude to take. So Andy said, if you go off with a broken leg, no one's no one no one really talks about <laughs> it or bats an eyelid. Mm. But you go off with you know low mood, depression, anxiety, any sort of stress related disorder, and it's natural to be worried about you know what what are people going to think. But you know we keep hammering the message home that. It's just it's just another illness, just like a physical illness. A mental illness is exactly the same. You're absolutely right. And you know, when you say that about office psychopath, it's it's right in what you're saying. That in that in times gone by, you know, if, I know I know you well enough that the only time I think you're going into work with an Uzi if someone insults Ryan Bennett or Podence. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, apart from that, you know, don't I do don't, that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's, you're exactly right, though. Talking about the workplace, especially for me, um, it's been very different in its approach. Andy, obviously, you um, work working from home at the moment, and you were very like secular in your workplace um, over the last year. And we've had conversations in the past about you know working from home and how that has an impact on mental health. Do, do you think that you have enough? Um, I mean, this isn't us trying to now do reviews on each other's workplaces or anything, but <laughs> I mean, what's it like at home working on your own from home without that kind of social interaction? Has that ever been kind of taxing on your mental health or is it something that, you know, does take a bit of a learning curve or or, or time to get used to? Oh, it, it's a massive learning curve. I mean, I've been working from home four years now, four and a half years. Mm-hmm. That first six months of doing it, you realise how isolated you are. Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, just pick up the phone and call someone or something like that. It's not that easy when everyone else who you want to talk to is in an office and you keep thinking, well, if, well, if I just call them, I'm going to be interrupting their work. Mm-hmm. But actually, you soon get over that and realise they probably just want to chat shit anyway to a friend yeah. for a little bit and just have that that momentary break from work. Mm-hmm. Um, working from the civil service obviously we've had such a big push towards focusing on people's mental health Um, I had a period of time off work six years ago I think it was six or seven years ago I had uh, 10 weeks off work with depression and I remember before I went off when you would hear about people having stress related leave um, leave sorry you'd roll your eyes Mm -hmm. okay yeah it's tough but come on we're all in the same boat it's all a bit shit and then as soon as you're there you're like fuck this this isn't this isn't anything to even sniff at is it it is genuinely it's life or death it like it is genuinely that serious for people Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely appreciate you know you sharing that with us and i think until kind of and, you know, I hope anybody that's listening to this, I hope there's a plethora of people that aren't going through anything 
for mental health related and they're listening out of pure morbid curiosity um until you're kind of there with it i don't think it's not easy to grasp the severity of the situation and you know i want to do an episode going forward actually on what it's like living with somebody with mental health as opposed to you being the one mm. that's suffering from it yeah. so um when this goes out i've i've already badgered my wife into talking about actually what it was like living with me because i'm mm. sure it was a fucking nightmare <laughs> <laughs> but, so when we talk about mental health i want to break it down into two areas triggers and symptoms now me in my ignorance mistook the two until spoke to Rachel Smith, which is later on in the episode. So triggers being some of the things that actually deteriorate our mental health and symptoms being some of the things that actually of what we display from a both physical and mental and potentially even spiritual, if that's your if that's your bag. Um, from a trigger point of view, something for me that that that, that gets me going and gives me anxiety um, would be work related stress. Now I do. I manage people, and um, I enjoy my job, and the support mechanisms I have at work are pretty good. But I just get stressed sometimes with general workload, and I feel anxiety. And then, as a result, the symptom of anxiety for me is a hot flush all over my body, mm. sweat yeah. pouring from my head. It doesn't take a long, you know, a lot to make me sweat anyway, especially with my bald head. Um, <laughs> I feel yeah. Yeah, like an itch that goes over my body, then the, then the shorter breath, and then the panic from the shorter breath, and then the cycle goes on and on and on until I'm a hot, sweaty mess. Um, and that's when I know that that anxiety is kicking in. So the trigger of that would be would be would be stress for me. Um, are there any triggers that you guys have that you know something that happens in your life potentially, or something that that you know has a deterioration on your mental health? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, it's really weird because, I mean, I was, in, in preparation for this podcast, I was thinking when, you know, I'm trying to trace this back to sort of day dot when I first had something that, you know, was linked to like a stress-related illness or something mental mental health. And I think I would have been uh, probably 15, 16, maybe. And it was the night before... Uh, going back to school, I think after a term break, I think I remember sitting just in the lounge, and Mum was doing my ironing, and suddenly I, I found myself just not being able to breathe. Mm. It was really, really weird. I like I felt as if my throat was just closing up, and obviously my mum, you know, this is just a new thing on her and a new thing on me. She just thought, oh, you don't want to go back to school tomorrow, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just probably I didn't know what it was at the time. It's only now. And I know what I know, and I look back. I, I, I think for whatever reason that was probably the first time I'd ever had a panic attack, and I, I, yeah. I don't know what it. And I, and I don't know what it was over really, but it was just weird that when when people describe panic attacks, I, I never thought I'd truly had one. But then when I, when I trace back to that point in time, I think mm. oh, shit, that was that was one really. Um, and when it comes to triggers, I think. What triggers off? So I, I've I suffered with anxiety and also been diagnosed with like low mood and depression as well. And the one thing that can get me, and as daft as it seems, it, just, it can be as little as a, a comment from from someone that can trigger that can trigger low mood and depression. Because what I do, I 
I ruminate over very little things mm-hmm. constantly. I'll take something similar. Like, like we could be, you know, any in any setting, and I could, you know, someone could make a comment, and I may not even process it at that point in time. It could be a day or two after. When I'll, I'll think back, say the next day, and think, oh, what we were talking about yesterday, and I'll, I'll note that I don't know, person A had said something, and. I start thinking, why did they say that? What you know, what what's made them say that to me, or why? What why what what what's the reason? And I, and I just mm-hmm. I, things just keep snowballing, snowballing into my head to the point of exhaustion. Really, yeah. like, to mm-hmm. the point where I get physically exhausted. I'm draining all my energy. I'm thinking, why did that person say that? And I drive myself down into a rut. Sometimes over over nothing, and you know, my wife said, you know, I'll start mentioning things to her, and she's much more positive person really i mean i'll shock you now obviously in our group chat i'm like considered the positive person about wolves it's literally the only thing in in life that i am positive about i'm Mm -hmm. I'm such a negative person in in day-to-day life because i worry about stuff constantly i'm I'm a a really i'm a really bad worrier so like if someone just mentions something if i have a comment or if i've you know if someone said something that i might not like to my face, I'll just ruminate on it constantly over and over and over. And because I'm not great with conflict, it's I don't feel comfortable, you know, challenging someone face to face about it. So what I do is I just challenge them in my head over yeah, and over yeah, again yeah. where they can't answer back. And it just it drives me mad sometimes. I'm, I get to the point of just near insanity sometimes. And what annoys me the most is that I'm sat here like ruminating these things over and over again. And it was a throwaway comment to the person. They probably forgot it the moment mm-hmm. it's left their mouth, and it's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's nothing to them. Yet I'm, yet I'm sat here just going over it again and again, thinking, why, you know, why, why this, what, you know, why that? Just asking me why. So like, oh, what's, what's made them say that? So I find myself I'm very, I worry too much about what other people think of me. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I, I want people to think good of me, really, to the to the point where I constantly worry what other people think of me. Mm. And you know, you, you get a lot of guidance from people say, I oh, don't, you shouldn't give a shit what other people think of you, but it's something that I haven't yet tackled properly. You know, I, yeah. I, I always seem mm. to think, oh, oh God, Matt said this to me and I wasn't quite sure what he meant. Does that mean he doesn't like me? Or Andy, Andy said, yeah. said this and I, I took it, no, I took it the wrong way completely. And I think, oh, you know, he said that because he probably doesn't like this about me or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just I, go I, over and over again. I get that. Yeah. And, and listen, just because I don't like Iron Maiden, mate, doesn't mean, you know, we, we can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, mean, I, I, I love you regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we can all be guilty of um, catastrophizing and yeah. well-being. Sorry, well-being, that's not the word I want to use. Um, mindfulness is something, you know, living in the moment is something that's very, very difficult for people who catastrophize. They can't think mm. of actually what's going on in the present and they're very very um dragged down by actually thinking of the worst case scenario andy where are you with kind of mindfulness and where are you with catastrophizing is that something that's on your playing field you know are you a catastrophizer when when things are going wrong are you thinking of the worst case scenario yeah mostly uh i bit like pricey when one little thing sort of goes wrong my mind goes fucking 10 to the dozen and I can't, I get really skittish, so I can't sort of focus on what the issue is. I end up worrying about what that issue could snowball into mm-hmm. rather than just sorting what, what the problem is. 
and then moving straight on, which would be such a, a healthy way to process things. But instead, I will then figure out all the horrible possibilities, by which point whatever I was worried about has either moved on or has probably been sorted. Mm. So, yeah, I, I do let things get to me, which I absolutely shouldn't. And I have brought this book with me because I wanted to remember the title. The life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. Thoroughly recommend picking it up and reading it. Like I've, I'm only like about a third of the way through, and one of the things I took from it is like it might be the second or third page, and it's literally just talking about spend a day, go into your wardrobe, look through it, and declutter. It might sound like it's a real sort of throwaway thing to do and nothing to do with mental health but it absolutely is because you are looking at stuff and making decisions on clothing which is actually the same as what you'd be doing in your own head you are compartmentalizing things and actually you can just throw that t-shirt away if you haven't worn it for six months fuck it it's it's not important much like some of the crap that i've got rattling around in here something someone may have said years ago fuck it i don't even talk to them anymore so what does it matter Mm -hmm. and it is about having that sort of impact and yeah it, it, so far i've really enjoyed this there's a few of these books in the don't give a fuck series and it sounds very flippant in the title but actually there is some substance to it yeah absolutely i think i've got an audiobook is it is it ronson i've made that up is it somebody else uh, this I've one got... isn't this is sarah knight but there is oh, one okay. i think that's the subtle art of not giving yes, a fuck that's if right. i remember that's correctly right. Yeah, I mean that was like my first audio book, and I thought, God, are they all like this? Like, <laughs> like I'd listen to like The Godfather or anything like that. <laughs> so, like, we talk about triggers and we talk about things that actually set off elements of of um, poor mental health. I remember like the, my first realization of what I perceived to be an anxiety attack on a lad's holiday to um, Madrid. I say the lad's holiday. We nearly never made it there, and that was what caused the whole thing in the first place. We were. We got on the train late, train was delayed going into the station. The panic set in. I'm sat there. Well, my close friend Tom, he says to me, What's the matter, Matt? And I'm just like, and I just can't breathe. I'm like literally like, I can't, I'm just I'm panicking so much about, oh, we're not gonna make the flight. We're not gonna make the flight. It means we can't go. We can't go, we lose all the money, we can't go because this, we do that. Panicking, panicking, panicking. It's about a lad's holiday, in which probably we could have just gone to would have gone, all right, we'll just get a train to a city a foreign, you know, to a city somewhere in the UK and we'll just have a laugh instead. But the panic sets in and mm. it, 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 it overlaps what the issue is in the first place to just the next step of the, the train of panic. Do you know mm. what I mean? And the next step, the next step and the next step. But that was when like anxiety for me became, I understood that that was anxiety and that wasn't, that wasn't healthy and that wasn't normal. Um, mm. So that, that was a difficult one to kind of identify really. That sounds like hell to me. The mm. idea of being stuck on a train, having to get to an airport Mm-hmm. And knowing that we're running, like, I mean, I can feel my leg twitching now just thinking about yeah, mine. <laughs> being in that situation. Yeah, it sounds awful. And yeah, and, and the worst of it was like it was me that planned it all, so I felt a genuine oh, guilt yeah. about like, yeah. okay, why are we here so why are we here so late? Like, why is this happening? And you know, the panic, yeah, just horrible, horrible it was. Well, I, I do that when I used to get when when we were allowed to go to Wolves away games. Um, if I was going to, it, I'd normally take the lead on, you know finding the pubs you know where mm. we were where we we're going and I'd, I'd, I'd always be stressing that you know we we're walking on I, I didn't want the boys to be walking any more than like five ten minutes to a pub in between pubs and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, be, I'd, I'd google mapping the way and say no I promise you it's, it's definitely this way and I'd be getting all stressed make sure we're going the right way I keep checking my phone and then if the pub wasn't that great I'd take it as like that this is on me this is this is mm. like 
I suddenly feel really guilty. So I know what you mean by when you say that about planning and making sure it all goes well. Because if I when I was doing that on like away games, I, t- I take it as my personal, it'd be like a personal attack on me if I got it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. I think I, I really hope the boy, I really hope everyone has a great time at this this pub because I've I've, I've recommended it. <laughs> and I just like yeah. to be stressing that everyone enjoy it or not. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we, we talked about triggers. I want to talk about symptoms before we hear from from Sam and. Um, symptoms can come in obviously a variety of, of different things um i think one of the most difficult things when it comes to identifying symptoms is stripping it back to knowing the things that give you joy in life aren't giving you joy anymore now what i mean by this is i'm going to i'll try and scale this story back to as few characters as possible but Back in December 2018, it was the lowest point I've ever been in, in my own mental health. For years and years and years prior to that, I've quite literally had a pain in the bollocks. <laughs> it's um, going on for years and years and years, and it, it, it would get me down, it would get me down, but it, you know, it was livable. In September of 2018, we got married, and then we started trying for kids. And um, then the stress started to come in because then the catastrophizing started. What if I can't have kids? What if this is all related to this? I've been a Google doctor and I've Googled that the symptoms I'm having <laughs> might mean that I've, I'm firing blanks. If I'm firing blanks, I can't have kids. If I can't have kids, she'll leave me. If she leaves me, what am I going to do? I'm going to be 30. I'm going to have no house. I'm going to have this. I'm not going to have that. No one's going to like me and I'm probably going to top myself. That's what it got to. <laughs> Legitimately, that's what it got to. And, and I remember the culmination of knowing that something wasn't right was when we played Chelsea at home and we beat Chelsea and I was in the um, North Bank Upper and we beat Chelsea and at the end of the game everyone's going mental and it? yeah, it's fantastic and I just felt absolutely nothing I, I, I remember it as clear as day I just felt mm. nothing I just thought oh, God, I just really don't give a shit about this I really like don't want to be here I don't want to watch this game I don't care that we've won um, and I got on the bus on the way home and I just got like, I can't wait to get home and I can't wait to go to bed. And then I don't want to go to work. And then it went on from there. And then I'd, I'd be at work and I'd, I had started a new job and it was stressful. It's something I'd never done before. And just the one day I'm in the toilets at work and I've just, I've just burst out crying out of, out of no, literally out of nowhere. Click and, and, and the, the, the tears and everything started. And, and that was it then really now. I've been really lucky at work in that um, you cannot shut me up for love and all money. I'm a very social person. I like to go around and talk to people. And that's my therapy in my day to day. Probably annoys mm-hmm. everybody else, but so be it. Um, and, and one of my managers had noticed, um, a manager that used to manage me at the time, said, it's something all right, Matt. Fuck me if that didn't get the waterworks. Go-. And that was it then. And then I, managed, I was pointed in the right direction. And I went from there. And we'll kind of go on a bit later in the podcast about what works for us. For you guys, what symptoms do you display if you're comfortable sharing or, or, or people that you know? Something that makes you realise that something's actually not right in your mental health. Is there anything that you can think back of that actually is an identifier to you that something isn't quite A-OK? I think with um, when I had, when my problems were more based on anxiety than low mood and depression, it was that feeling of of getting really pent up and just wanting to explode. Like you've got a sudden 
it's almost like someone's hit you with a shot of adrenaline and you just you, your body's shaking mm. uh, pretty much and you, you can't at times where like I've been able, unable to hold a pen you know because I've been there's been that much adrenaline coursing through my veins when you know you, you get a proper anxiety attack and you know you feel as if you could take off and your skin's tingling it's it's not a nice feeling at all and on the flip side when I know I'm you know suffering with low mood depression I get the old uh, three word question keep going through my head which is what's the point uh, yeah. you know mm. I'll, I'll like you Matt you know I'm learning trying to learn the, a language I'm trying to get back on playing my guitar but some days I'll just think what's the point you know and uh, I know when I'm getting bad when I, 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 I say that to myself about anything that I'm doing you know if I, if, and reason why some days I struggle to get things done because I, I look at something he's doing and I just think what's the point I just ask that question to myself all the time and that's when I know I'm in a like you know a real bit of a, a funk and I, and I need you know I need to be lifted out of it um it, you know some some days I struggle to make I, I can struggle to make like a simple decision mm. because you know with all that's going on in the old noggin every all the thoughts that are going around I struggle just to make a simple decision. And the, the way I liken it sometimes is when you're playing like a video game or something, like a sto- something's got a story to it, and you get to a point where you can take path A or path B. Yeah. And mm. I can't, when I get to those, I think, well, I want to see what both what happens at both so, so I can pick the right one. Mm. But, but I try and wrongly adapt that into life. Well, I think, you know, if I'm presented with you know, a crossroads in life. I think, well, I want to see what happens if I go that way. I want to see what happens if, I, you know, if I take this decision, I want to pick the best one. But obviously you can't do that in life, can you? No. And that's when I end up getting into a bit of a funk where, you know, you know to all of a credit, my wife would just say, just make a decision. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I can't, I, I physically can't. I don't, yeah. it's not mm. in my brain. My brain's not functioning to make a decision. And I keep going back to the, you know, what's the point, you know? Some people say it could be like a willpower thing and, you know, it might be an element to that, but, now in my head, you just it's, it's a bit of a morbid, long-range question. We think ultimately, what's the point? You know, but yeah, yeah I, sh- I should I should practice my Portuguese tonight, but what's the point? You know? <laughs> and then I thought, oh yeah, I should I should uh, pick up my guitar again and pick up where I left off before, but what's the point? I'm not going to join the band. I'm not going to be the next guitar hero. What's the point? You know, I keep taking a negative view on things, and that's when. Yeah. So my my triggers are I know I'm just I, I know when I'm regressing to that mindset of what's the point and what's what, what's the point of me doing anything that's when i know i'm getting you know back into that dark area and mm-hmm. that's when i know i've got to try and you know find things to lift me out lift me out of that funk yeah andy mm-hmm. is there anything from from your point of view in any times where you, you've actually had an identifier that something perhaps isn't where where you want to be in your mental health is there anything that you can pinpoint as either a symptom or a feeling or or something like that like my motivation just bottoms out like if i'm sat at work and then i realize that i've done fuck all for three days which has happened i I realize i'm probably in trouble and because it then bleeds into your personal life as well yep so i think i'd mentioned this when we did our first one way back when i i recognize that if i haven't picked up a comic book for some time I've probably got something that I need to think about. I might not necessarily know what it is, but I know that if I'm not even motivated to do something I love, mm-hmm. there is something somewhere that I just need to maybe spend an afternoon going through some things, trying to figure it out. Yeah. 
so that's how I recognise what's going on when the things that I like you with the the, the, the story about uh, the Chelsea match. It's that when stuff you love doesn't actually get your pecker up almost, you know. Oh, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It just it, it just leaves you feeling dead, and I think that's very much it. Because let's be honest, being sat at work bored. That's like the normal state of being being at work. Is uh, it's work in it? Yeah, I'm yeah. paid to do it. It's not what I want to do, but you know. But if you don't get that from something that you physically want to do, that's when there are problems. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And you know, from my experience, um, I go like I go out, or at least in lockdown, that limited. But go out far too much, and I have like a really, really active social life, and I really, really enjoy it. And during when all this was going on for me, my wife actually said to me, "She goes, you need to go and see your friends. You, you're actively avoiding them." You're actively not doing the things that you really enjoy doing. Like, why is this? Is you know, is something wrong? And that's when, like, another thing that made me realise actually, you know what? Um, normally, when I would be the one pestering everybody to do stuff, I could not think of anything worse at the time than like locking myself away. Now, there's nothing wrong with locking yourself away from time to time. You know what I mean? Being comfortable in your own company is a really, really good trait to have in people. But I think doing it to the point where actually you're actively avoiding your own friends is something that I think we need to identify isn't, isn't healthy, yeah. potentially. Um, we'll talk about in a later episode, actually, what other things that people may have noticed in yourself that um, isn't normal or isn't healthy. I want to talk, um, or should, I should I want to bring in the conversation that I had with Sam Evans about his mental health journey and what he did and what his thought patterns were and his um, commitment to his kind of long-term mental health and go through some of those and then we'll take a short break and then come back. So I'm here with Sam Evans, long-time Wolves fan and Roma fan, which we've got in common. Um, I've known Sam absolutely ages. I think we worked together as spotty teenagers at Asda, I think, way back when. And um, and we've had more than our fair share of drunk embraces at Planet as well, I'm, I'm, no doubt. <laughs> um, Sam has been on his own uh, mental health journey, um, which has culminated in him documenting his mental health journey on, on Facebook videos and done a really good job of highlighting actually the issues that somebody with mental health has faced and what treatment has worked for him um how you doing this evening mate you're right yeah i'm not too bad thank you for having me on no it's listen it's really really good of you to do this and put yourself out there isn't something that's easy to do um stigmas that are in the world when it comes to mental health um i'm just glad as a society we're now actually starting to have these conversations without it being a a taboo so to speak yeah um Let's take it back to the start then. So your mental health, when did you notice that it was deteriorating or it wasn't in a fantastic place? And, and what kind of symptoms did you have that made you actually think, right, I need to do something about it? Well, I mean, it, it all started there uh, in 2010 when um, one of my best friends committed suicide. At the point, um, I never really lost anyone that close to me. So I didn't know where I was mentally. But as time went on, um, it seemed like I had death after death after death. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, 
right, I'm struggling a bit, but I don't want to admit it. About mm. a year after, after all this shit, that was about three deaths, I think. Uh, so basically from 2010 to 2015, I've lost um, uh, 15 people close to me, close friends, yeah. family. Uh, and by the time you get to the seventh and eighth, you're thinking, yeah. Fuck, I'm struggling here, but uh, it was 2014, 13, sorry, October 2013. I was at work, I worked nights, and normally, uh, being as a good mother, she always rang me to see if I was all right, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was totally out of the blue. I just, I sat there, and she said, how are you? Are you all right? And I just went, no, I am mm-hmm. not okay. And she was like, why? And then it all just came out. Every, you know, years of just holding back uh, mental anguish, I think. I think it was, you know, I was struggling and the people that was getting me through it, they were dying. Uh, I had no one to turn to. I only turned to myself, which was no fucking help at all. Yeah. Um, and my mind, my mind seemed to be against me. And then I was plummeting. And I tell you what, the weird thing that happened is just a week before that, co- that phone call, um, I collapsed with chest pains. Okay. Uh, and I was in Canada. I was getting my money out, and uh, I felt a shooting pain in my chest, and I just dropped, and I thought I got shot, and I was thinking, what the fuck? And my mate was with me, and then I was fading in and out of consciousness. He called an ambulance, and obviously he called my mum, and then I woke up, and she was in the hospital with me. And the doctor said, have you been feeling any anxiety or stress? Mm-hmm. Perfect time for me to say. Well, in fact, I have. But what did I say? No. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a medical professional is asking you, have you felt any, you know, anxiety or stress or whatever? And I'm just there mm. saying, no, I don't think so, no. So, and then, but after after I went to, I spoke to my mom on the phone that night, she got me into uh, the doctor's. Got, uh, and I got me in to see some mental health professionals and it stemmed on from there and it was a really quick process to be fair I was surprised how quick it was um, but the doctor he put me on uh, sertraline which mm-hmm. the antidepressant side didn't work as much and I, I had a dose of counselling which I found better and I asked the doctor about my incident with how I collapsed and he said you'd be surprised how much it can build up mm-hmm and affect your body with physical pain. Yeah. You wouldn't think mental pain and physical pain go hand in hand is to yeah. think completely different, but yeah, it, it, it fucked my body up so much, it made me collapse. I was holding so much in. Mm-hmm. It just fucked me up really badly. So at what point did you understand or come to understand that actually this was a result of, of anxiety and that actually this was probably the root cause of what was going on? How did you kind of come to that assumption in the end? Well, it... I mean, it, it came to the the point where I had to lie. I had to lie to my family and friends yeah. that I was okay. Like, I'd wake up and i think, I don't want to do this again. Mm-hmm. I've got to. So I'd get up and I'd physically smile. Before I went downstairs, I'd physically smile. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. You know? Yeah. And people go, you all right? Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling after so-and-so's death? I'm just like, I'm okay. I'm getting through it. And I'm lying all the time. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. this isn't right. They should know. But... I don't know what it was. I know I know when people say they feel weak and worthless and all this, and I get that, but I didn't know what I felt. 
yeah it just wouldn't come out and i couldn't couldn't tell anybody i couldn't tell you know if you can't tell your mom or dad or, or, or your close friends and who are you going to tell was there an element of of guilt there maybe that you were feeling that actually you didn't want to put any more on them or was it a case that actually you just because this feeling is so alien to you that you just you just can't put words on it it was um i think i know what i mean obviously anyone who goes through one death from someone close is going to affect them but I think it's when I got to number 15, uh, I thought, I've, I've got to do something because it, it, it's killing me here. It's, mm. it's killing me. And I think the decline started coming out when I couldn't grieve anymore. Yeah. I, I grieved the, the first couple of friends that went and my family members that went, like my granddad and all that. But then it came to a point where I couldn't grieve anymore, couldn't grieve yeah. for anybody. And I felt guilty on that point. I felt mm. guilty because I couldn't grieve for these people and yet more people was going out my life and I couldn't grieve for them yeah and I was thinking oh, I'm missing them out and it, it just come to a point where I had enough I had enough of the life's bullshit I mean that's not even including you know women trouble and you know fucking yeah, financial things going on and job, jobs and work yeah, stress exactly. and yeah yeah so that that was another aspect of it and I found out that the easiest emotion to get out was anger. Mm-hmm. And I had some serious anger issues, which I was snapping at people. I was, I was punching walls. I was fucking throwing things, you know, you know what I mean? It wasn't good for my health. It wasn't good for other people's health, you know. And it got me through, you know, the toxic relationships that didn't work out, that, you know, and, and the friendships that I've lost through being angry mm-hmm. and saying stuff that I didn't mean. And, you know, it all just builds up into one big pile. And you, you try and move on. You try and die today. You try and move on from it. But it's just another fucking thing adds, adds on to it. Yeah. And there's only so much pressure you can take. Uh, and I didn't have that release system of telling somebody or talking to people or thinking, I need help at the minute. But mm-hmm. when I did think I need help, it was more of... Uh, I need to do it by myself. I need to do it on my own. These are my problems. Yeah. Uh, this is my burden I'm carrying. I don't want to burden anybody else. I'm hurting, so I'm going to heal myself. Which didn't work, obviously. It's not going yeah. to work. No, it's not. And I, I think one thing that I have noticed when I'm speaking to people, so I manage people in my job, and if I've ever encountered people that are having difficulties with mental health, and they've they don't realize they've done the hardest bit just by telling somebody in the first place. Um, they don't know what support is physically out there and available to them. Um, so they don't know about schemes in place where, where I work, for example. How easy was it for you once you knew that you had to do something that, that the way you were continuing wasn't healthy for you and you don't want to be in that decline? How easy was it once you then know, you know, know that you want to do something to actually get some support? Well, um, the, the day I told my, well, the night I told my mum uh, about that I, I need help, I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much next day, she was on the phone to the doctors, uh, getting me in to, to see a doctor. Then the, I think it was the, literally the next day after that, I was seeing the doctor. And mm-hmm. I was, and it, it seemed to be like a skill. I was telling everybody about my problems, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so easily. Uh, and he put me down for a dose of sertraline. Uh, then he 
gave me a, a slip to see some uh, mental health professional who mm-hmm. can like diagnose yeah. better than him. So he didn't want to do it there and then. So he wanted me to get checked out more. Uh, he gave me numbers and leaflets and uh, everything. And then we went home, did all that. Uh, I think it was, I'd say a week. I was seeing someone else. Uh, they diagnosed they diagnosed me with um, uh, clinical depression mm-hmm. and mild psychosis. Okay. And to hear that, you think, "Fuck!" That's, yeah, yeah. That's. The, I mean, it, it's it's a scary word, isn't it? Psychosis. People. I think it is. Yeah. Psycho. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's it's just one of them. It's they they diagnosed me with that. Then I had to ring. I can't. I think it was something called like Healthy Minds or something like that, which is yeah, like yeah, yeah. the counselling thing. Um, and I'll never forget the phone call. I sat on my bed and they were so blunt. Really? Ridiculous. I mean, they said, I rang them and they said, uh, do you have suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. that I have done? And I said, right, did you have a plan on how you would uh, uh, kill yourself? And I was thinking, fucking hell. Uh, I was thinking, well, I think I would. And they was asking me like how I would do it. Yeah. Um, you know, would I change anything and blah blah and I'm thinking, she's really quite blunt and this is the real shit now, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, absolutely, yeah. But they have got to know the, the 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 questions and answers. Um you know, and, and then I finally got into counselling, which I didn't think I was gonna get mm-hmm. um think it was gonna work out for me. Cause I, I was proper resenting it, um, because I didn't want some bloke who's had a degree in you know mental health who yeah 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 it's about it and and i tell you what i've i've gone in the room sat down with him and he was like a imagine an anorexic johnny vegas <laughs> okay you know what i mean and, and that's the first thing i saw about him i thought fuck you look like him so i sat down and i was arms folded and just staring at him see what he had to say and then he started talking to me he said right tell me problems so i started talking and he didn't say anything for ages, he just started writing things down. Mm. And then he was talking about what he he, he was going to do. Because basically he said, I'm not going to help you solve your problems. And I was like, well, what's the fucking point then? He said, I'm going to yes. help you help yourself to solve mm. their problems. Yeah. Um, and then we got onto a level because he was, he was relatable. You know, he, he lost his father and he went through a doubts of depression and so and then we started bouncing off each other yeah and then i tell you what that i 100 percent backed that counseling works better than antidepressants that's my opinion mm-hmm. it's not going to work for everybody else um but i i i didn't feel good on the antidepressants because the first thing the doctor says when you're on antidepressants is you will get your moods will get worse and i was thinking oh I don't need that. I want to be instantly cured, but obviously it don't work like that. It's it's. I, I find counselling help me a lot more. Yeah, I I know exactly how you feel. I when I was um when I was given counselling, um my initial worry was the first thing I was going to do is sit in a room ask to lie down and ask what the relationship likes with my dad like that's like that's, that's, exactly what I, couch, yeah. that's what i thought it was going to be and, and it wasn't anything like that at all really um and it was very much led by myself which was surprising i was expecting kind of a bit of an interrogation yeah. um and it wasn't like that really and, it, and then it 
it wasn't until like I got going and then that's when like it all the the, the splurge and the verbal diarrhea came out when I just it had to just come out it had to come out yeah. now I, I you know I get out I get anxiety and, and it was it was related to like a medical issue for me um that caused all this and then catastrophizing about it afterwards yeah. like what's going to happen after as a result of this that's that got me to where I was so you've obviously you've had counseling you've had the um the uh prescribed antidepressants and that side of thing and one thing that I'm really in, keen to get across on this is that mental health isn't an off on or off switch because you're in a good place now doesn't mean you're always going to be in a good place and because you're in a bad place doesn't mean you're always going to be in a bad place you've spent a lot of time now and put a lot of effort into talking about mental health um and, and creating your own videos online what was like what was your inspiration to do that and what did it take for you to you know take that step from helping yourself but now you're helping other people like how did you get to that point i think what it was is I was literally finishing my counselling, um, which took two years. I had two years of it. Uh, and it was literally two, two or three days before my last ever counselling meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, my, best, my best friend, Tom, died, my childhood friend. And that hit me hard. So literally, yep. I go into that counselling meeting. He's happy that I'm getting better. He sits me down and goes, you OK? And I go, you're going to have to start again. And yeah. I just broke down in tears. Uh, and then he talked me through it. And after I calmed down and I took what he, he gave me over the years, the, the advice and, you know, where I am mentally. And even though it was the hardest death that I could have gone through at this time, mm -hmm. it was the easiest to get over. Okay. Because I had that mental capacity to help myself yeah you had the building blocks to do it yeah i knew what my trigger points were i knew what was you know what can set me off i know what helps me and i dealt with it quite easily weirdly you know what i mean i don't yeah. want to say easy but you know it was you had the tools hard. there to be able to exactly. like know what to do yeah i had my own mental tools and, and i think that knowing that talking to somebody about something that's hurt you in your life and is affecting you mentally is the best thing to do Mm -hmm. And then when I was, I mean, when, when I've had my case of depression, I, I've spoke to people and helped them. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been quite good at helping other people, but not taking my own advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which if I help people, that helps me. Yeah. And when I, when I was in my state of depression, uh, my serious depression, I was helping people and that would distract me from my own problems mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm at this stage where, you know, I am good. I am in a good place. My life is peak at the minute. You know what I mean? And if I can help people like me in the past and get them through things, uh, it's, you know, it. I don't want anybody to suffer like I did. Yeah. No yeah. one to suffer like I did. So if I can drag them out and give them the capability of getting themselves through it, like mm -hmm. I did with a counsellor, but a lot of people don't are scared of talking to people like, especially like counsellors and mental health professionals. But if they talk to me like as a friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be able to help them there and then. Um, but I mean, it has. I have helped people in the past. I have. I, I don't want to sound like it's it's boasting because it's not. But you know, I've saved someone's life before mm -hmm. um, by just talking. 
uh, and I saved someone's life as well before when she was in a mental state. But sadly, she's not with us now because um, she passed away. We, we, we lost touch and she passed away three years after I saved. So I always think I gave her an extra three years, mm-hmm. she, you know, and helping people helps me as a person. It's more rewarding as a person to know that you've helped somebody overcome uh, this mental war. So I always, yeah. I always describe it as a war in your head. And at the end of the day, someone's going to lose that war. And you've got to make sure it's the place you don't want to be that loses. So you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so it, it is, it is tough. Um, and I don't want to, st- if I can help anybody get out of it, then I'll always do that and to anybody, anybody, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like, listen, it, the, the, you know, this podcast called It's Time to Talk and, and that isn't just a, a fancy tagline. It really is like time to talk to people. It's especially under lockdown and especially with coronavirus and the absence of, you know, being in social settings, it's more important than ever that actually we are talking to each other. And, you know, if there's somebody out there that you feel needs that conversation, not being afraid to make that conversation. I think we as maybe even as Britons, you know, stiff upper lip Englishmen that we like, we don't have those conversations when in actual fact, do you know how much like that person on the other end, just by like, asking somebody at work oh you know you don't see yourself today if you're all right how much they they need that i've been there like i've been there and that's what really helped me with my like mental health journeys a a manager of mine was like you're just not yourself today matt what's up really and like they 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 push me at it and that's when bang that's when it it all it all happened and um it's it's difficult listen it feels unnatural and and especially as like as blokes no quite quite unquote blokes you know the Sopranos was like a, a massive series about a mobster that couldn't talk to his psychiatrist. You know what I mean? It happens yeah. to people. It, ha- it does, it does, yeah. It, <laughs> especially, um, especially uh, as you say, males are most at risk. I mean, I mean, when I when a few of my friends have committed suicide in the past, but when my first friend did it, I, they always had that argument of was it selfish, uh, and and you know that. And at the time, I did. I thought it was selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's co- but now. I've been in that position of suicidal thoughts and, you know, and it's just a side effect of being mentally ill. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not, it's not selfish. It's not someone's selfish act and people go, Oh, think of the family, but it's just the horrific side effect of mental health that can happen. You can die from being mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You can can die from it, you know, and if, if people are suicidal, you've got to put yourself in their position on how shit life must be for them. Yeah, they absolutely. Might not any positives at all, but every negative they are taking in. Um, but again, my, males are the worst for it. I've been there. You've been there. We all know someone who has been resented to talk. I mean, you, you see these uh, the adverts and it says, check on a mate, check on a mate. Mm-hmm. I think there should be more to it. I mean, anyone can text a friend and say, are you okay? And yeah. someone can just go, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. And they'll be like, okay, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. There's got to be more to it. It's got to, like you've said, someone said, you're not acting right. What's up? A bit more. And mm-hmm. the, because you probably thought they've noticed, they've noticed I'm not right. So I better tell them. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%, Matt. I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, this, this podcast is now, a, you know, I, w- I want the conversation, I want people to listen to this and just start, just start having those conversations. You know, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that anybody's going to think any less of you or anything like that. But, you know, we, the next episode we're going to be talking about is going to be around suicide prevention and awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, for now, I just want to say, obviously, really, really thanks for you for coming on. It's, it, it takes a lot of courage to share your story to everybody. And we'll post the links to your Facebook videos and, and, and any videos that you have. Um, so, Sam, really appreciate you having on, mate. It's been great to no, speak to you. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, just to say that if um, anyone is listening and do want to follow me, and I'm just going to say that my inbox is always going to be open. So if you've got a message or want to ask anything, just inbox me and I'll be there. Always Amazing. It's really appreciate that, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, nah, no, not at all. It's really nice to speak to you, mate. No, that's all, man. Okay, guys, welcome back to It's Time to Talk for the second half of this podcast. Um, so we've just heard from Sam, and um, we'll put the links in on social media to his videos, and we can go over um, at a later date and, and watch his videos. They are really, really informative, and they are spoken in a way that everybody can get on board with. This is, you know, again, we're not mental health professionals. We just like to talk on podcasts. <laughs> so that's just our thing. So We like um, to ramble you know, on. We do like to ramble on, absolutely. Um, so what I do want to talk about now is support that you've had in the past when it comes to mental health um, and how easy or difficult it was to actually get that support. I'm really lucky in my workplace in that um, we have something called the Employee Assistance Programme. So it's like a self, it can be a self-referral or a manager-led referral where you get in touch with an independent company who um, you have a conversation with one of their actual professionals um, and then they make a decision basically on what you need um i went through that they gave me counseling i went to counseling sessions for the best part of about two or three months and it really really helped and then the the, the medical professional who i went to was able to point me in the right direction not everybody has that in their workplace but if you do i can't begin to tell you how useful a tool it is um because it's generally well it should be completely independent of your workplace your workplace don't mm-hmm. get the information that they take from you that's different to what is known as an um an occupational health referral which is something where your workplace will ask a a medical professional to question you so they can give you the right support but things like an employee assistance program are there as an independent measure from work you in in terms of access to treatment for you guys how have you found access to help when it comes to your mental health have you had any horror stories or have you found that you know, you've been able to get in touch with your GP and they've been able to help you through. What What are your kind of stories? Uh, well, the first time I had, uh, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, it was a Sunday. So obviously the GP is out of the question and went to the walk-in centre um, when I lived in Dudley. And you have to fill out a form and then they, they sit you down. And I remember that, like, I'd fill this out saying, like, I feel like I want to kill something. And like, I, I, I've just listed all this, like I feel fucking terrible, basically. And I sat down and then like, as soon as my ass hit the chair, 
the woman came over to me and said, like, just come with me. And then she took me into another room because there were all these fucking screaming kids in the waiting room. <laughs> so she was just like, kept me away from them, knowing that that would have been something that would probably not help the situation. <laughs> so actually, I thought that obviously it's NHS. So they, they deal with people who have all sorts of uh, issues. But the fact that they recognise straight away that that was probably going to cause a problem. And their first thought was to move me to protect me. I thought that was fantastic. Mm. And then I managed to get into the doctor's got the, uh, the, the 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 tablets they organized uh, a, a session with a therapist and then told me where to go to get further therapy um i had a really positive experience like on the when you come out the other side of it, you don't necessarily realize when you're stuck in the middle of it mm-hmm. but I, I always said like i've got friends who are going through a bit of shit at the minute and i'm like right talk to your doctor you can do this, you can do that. I've been on the internet. This, you know, try and find out as much as you can because there is a wealth of information out there, and there are so many great charities out there as well who just want to help people. Yeah, I um, I've tried varying different options for me. Um, so I think I've I've started doing CBT back in. When when would that have been? 2010, I would say. Um, And luckily, through for my place of work, you know, I get I I I chose you know that benefits package to go to to private. So I didn't have to wait, you know, for an NHS referral. I went to went to Nuffield and saw, you know, a Booper train, you know, Booper psychiatrist, and um, I had quite a few sessions with them, you know, you do all, all the techniques you have with, with, with them, which, you know, was helpful and worked. Um, you know, obviously didn't work too well, but they still worked at that, that point in time where, you know, it helped me that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, as Matt said, I've also got access to, you know, the Validium employee assistance program, but they weren't that helpful with me purely because when I, by the time I referred to them, which was like some six, years later they said because it's a long-standing problem you know mm. you have to you know, go through another system um and then i went most recently this year i've been through um healthy minds um, and there was a, obviously because it's nhs there was a little bit of a wait at the start uh depending on how you want to take it so if you wanted to do sort of online uh an online sort of cbt course that's a lot quicker but for me i wanted to sit down and speak to someone face to face so that had a longer waiting time and unfortunately you know that was interrupted halfway through due to covid so the face-to-face sessions had to switch to on the phone sessions which aren't you know they don't really have that intimacy and aren't really as helpful yeah. when you're on the phone um and ultimately what what that uh, re- translated into was them just sending me loads of literature through email for me to read um but i appreciate that's obviously a very you know unforeseen circumstance because yeah. i was quite enjoying the sessions like beforehand speaking face to face because they go through quite a lot of the break all like your thoughts down or you know get, uh, on you know when you face to face and they help you almost like try to help you understand how your brain's working and try and pinpoint what things you need to change to make your yeah. thought process better and understand why you're thinking the, the way you do um so yeah, I've, I've I've tried quite a few different um, avenues of help, really. Um, 
it's just like as you, as you said, Matt, it's like finding the one that, that that works for you and getting some good good quality help. And I do say you, you, there's a lot of things you can read up on online, but getting in front of like a CB trained per, you know individual, I think is, is the best way the best way to do it because the tools and techniques that are out there to try and help you reprogram your brain it's, it's mm. amazing it's not it's it's not like a magic wand you know for anyone listening anyone who thinks that you know you go and see the cbt counselor and then within five sessions you're magically cured it's it, it doesn't really work that way you know it's, it's something that you have to deal with you know as an ongoing thing but when you learn to try and you know tackle these things it helps you going forward and i'm still i'm still learning now you know i've yeah. not i've not mastered anything i've mastered fuck all when it comes to these sort of things i'm still struggling as i've you know as i've mentioned to you earlier all the things i ruminate over that's i still do that so yeah you just have to you know it's a bit of an irony but put your mind to it you know to try yeah. and mm-hmm. to try and get to, to help yourself to get better no one's gonna no one's gonna do it for you really you have to try and this again where i where i fall down i've got to improve that on my side to try and you know help myself to get mm-hmm. better yeah, I don't know about you guys, but when I feel in a better place, like at the minute I'm feeling pretty good, I feel that I have to take steps now to make sure that I don't slip. It's much I find it much easier to try and keep on a good path than when I do slip to try and get back on a good path. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Um, I've been looking into things to get better sleep as well, because the one thing that I find mm. really affects me the following days if I've not got enough sleep now obviously with you know work being very busy and i've got a young family you know when when the wife and the kids are at, you know after sleep i sometimes i choose sometimes just to stay up later because i just want some time to myself just to, i don't know pot about mm-hmm. and i would do something but unfortunately you know i get the two little human alarm clocks you know sometimes before <laughs> six of the morning so i don't get to choose when i wake up they wake they wake me up for me but I can wake up down a really, really bad, bad way if, you know, if, if I haven't got enough sleep. And that's it then. For the rest of the day, I'm, I'm horrible and I feel my mind's, you know, my mind's you know, in a dark place for the rest of the day because I haven't got enough sleep. So I've, I've recently just tried taking the, the CBD oil because I know that helps you um, get off to sleep. And it's, I've took it for the last week and it's, you know, that's, that's helped me a little bit as well. Um, getting some better quality sleep and also the natural thing being getting to sleep at a reasonable time as well. Yeah. Um, and staying off, staying off, the, I don't say staying off, but reducing my beer intake has helped as well. Mm. I, I know that I've kind of, after years of um, trying, I've, I've found my limit. Now, if I have, say, more, if I have more than four beers, you know, I know that the next day my mind will be in like, a, I'll be in a really dark place the next day. And it's not just, oh, it's a hangover. It's not. It's just, you know, my, the, the chemicals in my brain just alters the way I think, you know, the next day. So now, you know, I, I know that, you know, I'm having, I'm having no, and it doesn't matter whoever tells me otherwise, you know, I'd say, look, I'm, I know what I'm having. I know what, I, what my limit is to drink because I know my own, I'm getting to know my own mental health better. And I know that mm. if I just chuck loads of beer down me and think yeah it's great at the time you know you're having the right mm-hmm. laughing like you're eight pints in or something you're having a great time but you know the, the next the following it's not just the next day it's like the next day next two three days you just feel really worse so as you said Andy it's like it's just preventative things you can do mm-hmm. you know what while you're feeling good just think about what you're doing and making you feel good 
and don't do things that you know that will send you the wrong way. Yeah. Um, before we get to we go to Rachel Smith from the Walls Foundation, I, I want to just have a quick chat around, actually, for those that aren't fortunate enough to have things in the workplace, things that people can do or, or that people can can work on to actually help them improve their mental health. Now, it's a bit unfair talking about this because the three people on this call we're Greek Adonises in terms of our physique. <laughs> you know, it's it's the only you know, it's not fair for us to talk about this, but we'll we, you know, we'll give it a go. No, obviously we're not. But exercise for me is so important when it comes to actually keeping on top of my well being from a physical point of view, but also from a mental point of view. Um competitive sport, playing football, fantastic, going out on my bike, going to the gym and just throwing weights around. Um it, it, it really helps my mental health. And now that lockdown's in place and the gyms are closed again, it's very easy to actually get down in the dumps about actually not having access to those uh, to that anymore. But there's a ton of free stuff out there. The BBC Couch to 5K app, for one, is something that I'm, I've used over the last couple of weeks. And I am not a runner. I am not a runner. Absolutely <laughs> not. I mean... Um, uh, but you know what? I'm enjoying it because I'm seeing progress and I enjoy the feeling of actually when I've finished and I've had a shower and I've gone to work or my body just feels more alive when I've done exercise and I just feel better from a well-being point of view. Um, Andy, I know, you know, we've spoken in the past about um, you, your newfound love for the gym and, and that where, where is exercise and physical well-being linked to your mental well-being? oh it's it's huge to be perfectly honest it's for someone who as we said before about ruminating and catastrophizing i was thinking about the worst i love getting on a treadmill or cross trainer and hitting 5k that just feels like such an achievement i'm like nothing can go wrong in the world because i've done this (laughs) with my fucking 90 year old man knees i've managed to get to this like it's just those those little achievements when you get to the when you're doing any physical activity, the, those achievements just put everything else in the shade. It, it might just be because I am not the most or I haven't been the fittest of people previously. So now doing something where there is a measurable outcome, mm-hmm. it feels so important. And that might not be for everybody. Don't get me wrong. You might you might find your own way of getting your little wins in there. It might be FIFA. I know, obviously, Matt, you're a big FIFA fan. It might be that way, just having that social game of something on the PlayStation or Xbox. Something like that, that might be your win. For Mm -hmm. me, like, over the last sort of four months or so, my win has been running around the park, going to the gym, lifting heavy shit. That's been my win. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, add your, you know... Where are you in terms of your, what gives you your little wins? Is it exercise? Is it, is it something that you, that others might think is mundane, but actually to you, it actually gives you that little lift, that little boost. Do you know what, what really works for me? Same as Andy, on my knees are like Ledley Kings and they're no, <laughs> no good whatsoever. But what, so running is not something that I particularly enjoy or can do. Um, I can't swim either. So that's out the question um so that's why you know i do the biking um and matt we could do with another ride soon yes yes we do. um the one thing that does for me is working in the garden mm. I, I 
absolutely love getting out in my garden and just doing jobs out there. So I've got, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to have a house that has like a, it's an old, you know, 1930s house. So that comes with like a long garden. So it's, it's a love-hate relationship because I love having it, but also it requires a lot of maintenance. But it's, it's a job that I love doing. You know, sometimes I'll be sat at, you know, at my dining table doing work and I'm just like casting glances out into my garden thinking, I can't wait until I can get out there. <laughs> and, and fuck I don't shit know, up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pre-plant that motherfucking hedge or something, you know, or whatever it could be. You know, I'm just, I love doing, I love having a nice garden. So I love doing work in it, whatever the weather might be. And manual jobs as well. You know, I've, what, what I like to do in, in, in the garden is I like to take pallets and paint them up and do things with them. So I used, I, I did previously build a, a corner sofa out of pallets. I'm, I'm painting some previously, you know, most recently to put like some hanging baskets in. I just, you know, I, I could happily just like paint as again, as you said before, Matt, but as in mundane, but I could happily just take an evening, just painting a pallet. I love it. The time just goes so quick. It takes my mind off literally everything. I'll put some music on or a podcast while I'm doing it and I'm, I'm in my happy place I just love doing it. it it might sound ridiculous to some and it probably does but I love it I just I love doing these like little jobs that I, you know I don't normally do I'm, I'm an office monkey I just tap at a keyboard all day in my job so doing something different to that really kind of releases the endorphins in my, in my mm-hmm. head to, to you know to make me feel make me feel good you know, painting painting my fence the gravel boards you know doing something in the garden like yeah. that's really kind of what I I love to do, to be honest, and I do get what you say about exercise because I do think that that is a big thing. As you know, as, as we said, there's a big link between the two, and you know, it's been a while since I've regularly gone to the gym. But when I did, going back, you know, quite a few years now, I used to be in like the pure gym for twenty past five of a morning, and you know, I was out by half seven. But you do, you really do feel like set up for the day, don't you? When you yeah, do it, and I don't mm-hmm. know what time, I don't know what time you guys go to the gym, but you know, taking the advantage of the 24 hour gyms, I was in there at like crack of dawn and yeah, you, you just feel revitalized for the day. As, as the day goes on, you've you got some energy to attack the day, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Although when I first started doing it, I was falling asleep at my desk by three o'clock when I, when I was still, <laughs> still acclimatizing to get up so early. But, you know, you get over that. But you're right. It's, it's, it's great. I, I, I do. I would like to get back into a gym, you know, again at some point. Yeah. Um, once I get the time to mm-hmm. do because the, the, the benefits are there, aren't they? Yeah, I think what the point we're trying to make here is actually one of the quickest and easiest things without requiring any help from anybody else is trying to identify what makes you happy. Was it Alanis Morissette? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. I might have butchered that. But either way, (laughs) if it makes you happy, do you know what I mean? Providing it's not going out there on a murdering spree. do Do what makes you happy that is the big, you know, one of the steps that will help you in your, in your mental health is by getting your, getting involved in something that gives you pleasure and gives you that release that actually will just take your mind off things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one thing that, 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 you know, that we can do. There's a plethora, a plethora of charities out there that can help. And um, Rachel Smith is from Wolves Foundation, um, which is an organization very close to all of our hearts as Wolves fans. And we, I had a conversation with her earlier in the week, and um, we're going to listen to that now and talk about Head for Health, which is a, a wing of Walls Foundation to help people with mental health and looking at what they do in the community. 
I'm with Rachel Smith from Walls Foundation. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Matt. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of what I imagine is a really busy time of the year for you guys um, and spending some time with us to talk about mental health. Um, you're part of obviously Walls Foundation. Just for the listeners, in case they've not really got involved with Walls Foundation before, what kind of um, work do you do and how did you get involved with Walls Foundation? Yeah, so my main role at the foundation is a health and wellbeing manager. So I oversee all the health related programs that we run. Um, the foundation in general, we're the official charity of the football club, um, but we are completely independent. So we kind of work with a variety of different funding streams to basically try and run um, as much good stuff in the city as we can. So our main aims really are to try and motivate and educate and inspire the communities to live kind of healthier lifestyles and just try and give them the confidence and the motivation to to do so really so we run projects all the way from birth up to we've got 90 year olds on some of our projects so we span all ages um, we run things from education activities um, we do inclusion and cohesion activities we do disability sport we have a, a huge schools program working in primary schools in the city um, we run evening and weekend activities um, and then we also have kind of like a fundraising section as well. Um, so most recently coming up, we've got our um, new Sleep Out, which this year unfortunately has to be virtual, um, but trying to build on really the, the success of our first ever Sleep Out last year. So we do yeah, a wide range of, of different projects and initiatives um, all across the city, really, um, just trying to engage with, with the community using the Wolves brand. Um, yeah. So I, I first started at the club um, just over five years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my first role there was was trying to get people active um, across the black country. So not just in Wolverhampton, had to cross some uh, borders that people mm. may, not, may not be too happy with. Um, but yeah, and then my my role kind of um, started to progress and move more into kind of the, the health side of things, um, which I've now got a little bit of a small team that, that run a variety of different projects from mental health to type 2 diabetes education to, to preschool initiatives with um, young children and their families really so yeah. Amazing I mean do any of the footballing rivalries ever cross into the like the well-being sector with you guys you know do you ever fire off horrible emails to like the Albion well-being teams or anything like that? No where possible believe it or not we do try and work together <laughs> so for example our, our Molyneux Memories group so it's a, a group for individuals suffering from dementia we have a biannual quiz with the counterparts at West Brom mm-hmm. um, a little trophy that gets passed around depending on who's won the quiz um, okay. I think we came home victorious last time and we haven't unfortunately we haven't done one yet um, due to Covid but we've, we've still got the trophy which is all good amazing well i mean in terms of covid and obviously all of the uh, limitations that that brings uh, you know are you still able to put events on and do things albeit on a on a virtual scale yeah so obviously as as was the case with everyone when uh, when march happened and we were f- thrown into that kind of national lockdown for the first time it was very different for us we're a, we're a face-to-face organisation, we go out into communities, we meet people um, and that is at the heart of what we do. Um, So we were thrown obviously into that that virtual world, that online world that we haven't probably used that much before, Um, same as everyone. So we're we're all kind of dab hands now at Zoom calls and all of that, Um, but just trying to engage with our participants in a different way or it may not be the 
the first choice necessarily, but it's what, what we could do at the time. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of adapting that went on and kind of how the, the whole team pulled together. We had some staff going out delivering free school meals. Yeah, We had some helping with PPE deliveries that Fosun um, were very kind of hugely involved with getting a lot of PPE delivered to, to New Cross and in other kind of care settings in Wolverhampton. So it was all kind of all hands on deck, really. Um, and just, just pulling together, which is, is at the heart, really, of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, part of the reason why this, this um, podcast is being put together is as fantastic as um, facilities are at the moment, technology, and that we're even able to do this is great. You know, we want to make sure people are still being reached, not only by ourselves, but services like yourselves are still able to to run. It's fantastic that you're still able to, to you know, to, to reach out to people and, you know, do these different activities and the, and the different kind of programs and initiatives that you have. Um, we've got you on today to talk about mental health. Um, really, really appreciate you having you here. Adult males is kind of what we're looking at for this podcast, though this, generally speaking, uh, you know, works with everybody, the kind of things that we talk about and, and they can be um, the kind of the triggers that we're going to talk about are relevant to everybody. But when it comes to poor mental health, in your experience with some of the work that you do, I, th- I feel there's still a stigma around talking about mental health in this country and, and, and beyond though it has improved over the last few years do you find that when you're getting involved with people then talking about mental health is difficult or or how do you feel about how we talk about mental health as a society at the minute I think like echo what you say I think it is getting better and I think over the last few years it's it's started to be spoken about much more there's um obviously there's work that organizations have been doing for for years that um as obviously complete credit to them and I think there's even more organizations now coming out starting new initiatives um obviously the the Duke of Cambridge himself is spearheading um a kind of the heads up campaign so trying to get the word out to football fans that it is okay to to talk and to hold that conversation and all of that um I think there is still a, a big stigma around mental health in both men and women but I think there's that increased stigma around talking about mental health issues in men um, and I fully appreciate I'm sitting here as a woman saying that um, it doesn't necessarily um, come across the right way. But I think from a lot of the guys that, that we speak to, it is they, they do feel the pressure of having to hold everything together. And they do feel the pressure of having to pretend that everything's OK when it yeah, isn't. Yeah. Um, worrying that it's only them that is going through that hard time and that, that it's only them that is, is kind of feeling that way. And they don't feel that... It, it does affect other people. They feel quite alone with with all of that, and it may not necessarily be that they they know who to turn to for mm-hmm. advice. And that's kind of one of the reasons that we pulled the head head health project together. Really, is so that we can hopefully break down a few of those barriers, break down that stigma a little bit, um, and very similarly to the heads up campaign, trying to use the the power of football and the brand um, of Wolves to be able to do that. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting that when you think about initiatives that talk about mental health, I think football one might be one of the things that is as far away from mental health as I can think of. What I mean by that is big burly men that like football don't talk about mental health. And if something that they have a real passion about is talking about mental health, then maybe something 
you know, it's it's not something that they should be ashamed about talking about. I mean, do you find in your experience, you know, when you are speaking to people that because it's Wolves and because it's the team and the club that actually they're a bit hesitant or that they don't really engage because it's football, you know, you know, when I'm in the South Bank or, or I'm at a game and I'm, you know, I'm five, six, seven points deep. The last thing I think about is if if my mental health is is in a poor state, is that the Wolves as a club are doing anything about it? So, you know, is it difficult trying to use Wolves and, and Wolves Foundation as a backdrop to help people? Um, it's a bit of a mixture, really. I think it, it's getting the word out there of what we do because mm-hmm. a lot of people just think it's 11 players that go out on a pitch week yeah. in, week out, which it is. But then behind the scenes, there's ourselves that are running, obviously, a variety of different projects and... Um, Head for Health being one of them. But I also think that because we have that kind of presence for people that are aware of what we do, and obviously yeah. we have a great relationship with the club in that we can use match days and all of that to promote what we what the project is doing. I think that, that gives us a huge reach to people that, yeah, yeah. like I said, they're potentially um, reading the programme or sitting there at half time and they see some random people come down and do an interview that's kind of random people like us that go out and do that. So... Um, but also we work with some great organisations in the city that are working with vulnerable people that are suffering from mental health issues that can obviously signpost to our service as well. So word of mouth can help, organisations can also help. Um, yeah, just increasing the awareness really of, of what we are doing um, and trying to break down those barriers. Like you said, if you're at a match, the last thing you expect is someone to, to come up talking about mental health. But we have done some events and we have had some people get in touch from that. So even if it's one person we help, then that's that's kind of our job done, really. If we can reach out to 30-odd thousand people and get one person and improve their life, then, then that's what we're there for, really. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, I mean, when you refer to kind of poor mental health, in, in your experience, one of the things I'm really keen for this podcast to do is for people listening um, – they may not even understand that their mental health is where it is, or they may not appreciate what they think is just them maybe having a bad day. They don't identify as triggers for poor mental health. In your experience, kind of what are some of the triggers for poor mental health in people that, you know, isn't normal and and, and actually they shouldn't feel ashamed that they are under poor mental health? What kind of things are, you know, are people experiencing? Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll probably split it a little bit to be honest in like into triggers and maybe then some symptoms. I think mm-hmm. the last eight months in general has probably been a trigger for a lot of people to suffer yeah. from poor mental health. Um, obviously, it's been a huge change to people's routine and lifestyle and the added stress of maybe financial difficulties and uncertainty and, and all of that. So I think the, the last eight months in itself can be a huge trigger. Um but just in general, we, we all have mental health. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. And it's trying to pick up on what are our own triggers. So whether that's work, being stressful, whether it's the stress of not being in work either, if we're unemployed, if we're struggling financially, um, if we've got kind of relationship issues with friends, family, partners, um, children, things like that. Um bereavement loneliness all of those sort of stuff obviously can anything can be a be a trigger to make our mental health a little bit worse or a bit a little bit more negative mm-hmm. i think symptom wise it's it's difficult because like you said we often kind of maybe downplay it a little bit and go oh, it's just a bad day or 
we can again I know I keep using COVID as an example but it's easy for people to go oh it's because of COVID isn't it it's because yeah, we can't yeah. see people and, and that could be a, a huge part but I think it's just starting to be aware of what is the norm for us and if we are usually that that happy-go-lucky person and all of a sudden we're not or over a period of time we've started to turn into that that lack of motivation and I think the main thing really is not getting any enjoyment about through stuff that you're used to so that kind of lack of enjoyment and lack of pleasure is is a big one um it might be that you sleep more than you used to so you don't want to get up in the morning that lack of motivation to get up um it might be that you can't sleep you can't switch off because your mind's going 100 miles an hour on a night um we either might not eat we might eat too much so weight loss weight gain either way can sometimes be a bit of a, a sign that stuff isn't going as well as it should be and self-medicating whether that's alcohol drugs um again if we're feeling stressed or anxious or depressed it's easy to turn to something that might allow you to escape for a little bit mm -hmm. but yeah. it's yeah. often a bit of a vicious cycle unfortunately um and i think yeah, it's just feeling that if you're feeling down if you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed about stuff that you wouldn't necessarily um it's just being aware and taking the time to, to potentially get a little bit of, bit of help if that's what you need yeah, yeah absolutely i mean when you mention about um not getting the joy out of things that you might normally uh you know find pleasure in or find um gives you happiness exactly as it was with me as I've, as I've previously mentioned on this podcast about I think we played um, Chelsea we beat Chelsea at home 2018-19 season I remember being there and um, felt nothing felt absolutely nothing after we won and that, it was at that point that I realized something wasn't quite right and that's when I looked to seek help but I, I you know at my work there's a great initiative and programs in place so I was lucky enough to have that um, but I appreciate that other people other people don't and that's really why I want to speak to yourself and, you know, see what Head for Health do. And actually, is it a service out there that people can use that maybe don't feel like there's anybody out there that can can help them? And um, so in terms of like Head for Health, you know, you know, what is Head for Health and what kind of things do you do within the community? So Head for Health um, is a men's mental well-being programme. So it is specifically just for men. Um, and, and the reason for that is because of that increased stigma around men's mental health um and just trying to increase the likelihood of, of men accessing a little bit of help as well so um back when wolves were promoted most recently so 1718 season i think that was um we were able to bid into some money through the premier league so the premier league the professional footballers association um every year the club is in the premier league we, we can kind of bid into that um and we had some joint funding from City of Wolverhampton Council and Wolves CCG as well to, to help with that. And we went to public health at the council and we just kind of said, we want to do something for the city. Where is there some local need? And they really helped us pull things together and kind of highlighted that men's mental health was this kind of area that needed a little bit of support, really. Yeah. So we, we put together the, the application, all of that was successful with the funding. So um, we've been running Head for Health now for just over 18 months. Um, and in a non-COVID world, it consists of group sessions at Molyneux where we do informational workshops and physical activity sessions. So workshops, um, they're informal, but hopefully educational. So things like coping with stress, um, alcohol awareness, um, mental health awareness in general. We talk a little bit about kind of 
employability if there's people that are unemployed on the project we have inspirational speakers that come in um, and then physical activity sessions ranged from going to the driving range going bowling um, table tennis football all stuff like that um, obviously at the moment we're in a much more of a, a digital world so all of our sessions are running via zoom so still in that group environment we still have um the kind of guest speakers come in over zoom and, and the content stays the same it's just a little bit different um and then prior to the second lockdown we were running some walk and talk sessions as well um again for that group physical activity element um sessions are usually run over a six-week period but then there's kind of that continued support afterwards so we have we call them extra time sessions um basically people can continue to come and chat in that safe space um, just to talk about how they're feeling and, and meet new people as well, really. Um, so if everything is kind of running as as normal as it can do um, through lockdown and through through COVID. Um, but we can't wait really to, to get back to Molyneux and get some face to face sessions back up and running. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, actually, that the like Premier League survival hinges like towards funding you don't really think of that do you when you think of the impact that promotion and, and sustained um success by the club has on the city in general um really interesting um that that's in place i mean in terms of head for health have you got any kind of major success stories or um or people that you know that you've impacted on that you know you've really made a difference with yeah i mean i, I guess I, we sound quite Big-headed, I don't say this, but we try and make it an impact on as many people mm-hmm. as we can. And whether that's just someone's confidence to be able to apply for a job that they wouldn't have had before, whether it's the confidence to leave the house, whether it's just that day-to-day improvement in their in their mental well-being. So it's always nice to hear good feedback. Um, one of our participants, Dean, um, is is probably one of our recent success stories in a way. Um, he came onto the program. He'd retired early. He was a little bit of a, a loose end, really. He was a little bit lost. Um, he'd started to kind of fill his time with drink and drugs as opposed to helpful coping strategies. So he came on the came on the program and learnt some new kind of coping mechanisms. Got in touch with other organisations that could help. Um, and he was actually chosen. Myself and Dean went down to London in February to meet Prince William, Duke of Cambridge. Um, and just to talk about his story, so that was the kind of the, the heads up launch event. Um, so Dean even managed to give him some stick about his villa colours on the day as well. <laughs> Good um, and um, and yeah, he's he's been a great ambassador as well for the programme. So not only has he kind of come on and improved his own mental health, but he's using that to try and inspire others now to, yeah. to do the same and to talk about things. And um, yeah, he's he's been great really. He volunteers on the programme and... We did a we did an interview with him at our heads up fixture in February against Leicester. Um, so off the back of that, um, we actually had another individual get in touch with us because they were inspired from Dean talking and kind of educating others about his story and inspiring others. So Dave came along himself to the program after feeling alone and losing his job and and all of that and. He's in a much better place now and he's back in employment and everything. And he's just kind of like if I'd never seen that interview at half time I'd have never known where to turn to what to do and it's just that knock-on effect if we can continue to have that that domino effect wherever we can then I think yeah that, that's all we really want yeah absolutely yeah. and I think that 
you know, goes to show not to, to, to try and sound preachy or anything like that, but the more people talk, the more people talk to their friends, the more word of mouth gets around that actually there are things out there for people who are suffering and it doesn't need to be people that are on the extreme edges of poor mental health either you know there there are things in place for people that you know are at a loose end or you know have lost their jobs or even through covid at the moment are in a are in a, a struggle whether that be you know financially emotionally everything so it's you know it's really amazing work that you guys are doing i'm really glad that you're still able to to do these things even in this you know, COVID mess that we're in. I mean, if people listening to this podcast want to know more or learn more about Head for Health or Walls Foundation in general, um, you know, what can they do? What where can they go? Um, so you can visit our website. So we've, if you go into the main Walls website, the foundation kind of feeds um, off there, and you can kind of have a look through our news stories. So there's some news stories for around Head for Health. We've got a, a page dedicated for Head for Health as well. Um, in our COVID response, there's some resources as well. So if people want to have a little bit of a nosy, we've got some uh, resources there, kind of spot, spotlight on anxiety, for example, spotlight on depression. We've got some coping strategy kind of workshops as well. So people can always have a, have a look on there. Um, if people are interested in coming along to the programme, they can drop me an email. So rachelsmithatwalls.co.uk um, and we can start to sort that out. Um, like you said, really, we are a light touch intervention. So if, if obviously, if you are really struggling, there's also help out there and we can signpost to that. We work with a number of organisa- organisations in the city. So whether that's kind of alcohol support, drug support, um, further counselling, CBT, things like that that we can't necessarily provide, we can signpost you in the right direction. Um, and if you've got no one to talk to and you don't know what to do, the Samaritans are there. Samaritan's number is 116123 and they'll, they'll answer the phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so yeah, the, there's, there's ourselves, but don't ever feel that there's no one to talk to. If it's three in the morning and you just need to get stuff off your chest, there's, there's always somebody that will listen. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're going to be having um, the Wolverhampton branch of Samaritan's on the podcast as well um, to talk about kind of maybe the, the the further end of the spectrum when it comes to poor mental health but no we really really appreciate you coming on it's something really close to um a lot of our hearts at um, walls fancast and something i think that we as a as a community as a city as a as a country need to be talking about more um and just identifying for people really that it's okay to feel um not okay it's okay to have poor mental health but there are options available for you if you know if required and and people like yourselves who are doing fantastic work are more than readily available to help it's just people often don't know what steps they need to take to get help isn't it so but we really really appreciate um you coming on thank you very much no problem thank you very much for having me So thank you to Rachel Smith from Wolf Foundation. Really, really good chat. And we'll put the um, details of Head for Health and the Wolf Foundation on the socials. And then you can look into that yourself. One thing before we kind of wrap up um, this evening, I want to just make the point that mental health isn't a digital thing or is it analog? I was never really good at this at school. It's not an on or an off switch mental health. It isn't a you are either depressed or you're not depressed it is a spectrum it is a 
percentage you might want to look at it as as in someday you'll be at 90 percent where everything's fantastic some days you might be down at 30 percent 40 percent it isn't something that has an on and off switch so when you are at your worst it's never going to always be at your worst when you're at your best sadly you're never going to always be at your best and there are always going to be things that bring your mental health down and i think it's important that as as a society and as friendships and as fans of football you know how the the opportunity to talk shit about football is never been better with twitter with everything <laughs> else the opportunity to talk to friends and talk to people and socialize and talk about your hobbies has never been greater there's never been more access to groups of people forums chat and everything and i think it's just important that we realize that actually there are going to be days where our mental health isn't fantastic and it doesn't mean that you are depressed or it doesn't mean that you are going to slip but it's important that you notice the things that actually lead you into that darker place um and how often do you hear it and i'm going to ramble on about it again talking to a friend about it or a loved one or a partner is never ever a bad thing i can't begin to tell you how many times i've just not spoken to people because i don't want the facade that is that guy life and soul of the party to be broken because mm. i don't want people to yeah. think oh christ well i don't want to listen to him he's, he's he's you know what if people are your friends they will listen to you and they will want to help um and that's the message really that I, that I personally want to sign off with is that no, like if they're your friends or your loved ones, they don't want to see you upset and they don't want to see you get, make you feel any worse than you already are now. So just talk to them. Um, it's time to talk to bring it like back to the <laughs> podcast title. Um, guys, anything that you kind of want to sign off with um, before we wrap the episode up at all? Um one thing for me that i find useful is just having a creative outlet whether it's us doing podcasting like we are now i occasionally write stuff and you know i just like to be able to have something to show for it which i suppose is a bit like adam and his garden once you've done that you've got something that you can look at you can physically see the outcome of it and that's that's what you want I, I find that really useful and it might be something that you've never thought of doing before, but just get a pen and a pad out and write some garbled shit and it could go anywhere. And, but you've just got, you've just put something down and got it out of your system. I find that helps from time to time. Just, yeah, it's worth, worth a shot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can only echo what, what, what you two guys have put so, so eloquently there as well. Um, find something that you enjoy you might not find it straight away but you know try try your hand at things because everyone's good at something so there's a hobby out there for you to 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 apply yourself to to put your energy towards um and then as we've mentioned it's, it, it is it really is the number one thing in, in, in that it's talking talking to people um i don't think anyone really solves any problems by keeping it all to themselves. Mm-hmm. and you're certainly not going to solve mental health problems by keeping it to yourself because uh, you know as a, we've all learned you know over the years it's quite a dangerous thing you know to keep keep yourself bottled in so sometimes eventually that bottle top's going to break off and it's only ever going to be bad results at the end of it so 
Um, one way to, this is a metaphor, reduce the fears in the bottle is just to, just to talk, you know, say just to, to talk to people and whether that be a friend or a family member or even the, the you know, the charity lines that are out there. Um, you've got to make use, make use of these things. Um, as Andy quite rightly said earlier, because ultimately it could be something that's a matter of life and death. So I think that's what a, what a, a quite nice, nice way to put it. So I can only, yeah, I can only echo what you said. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads us on to what will be episode two, which will actually be looking at the more extreme side of mental health and actually looking at kind of suicide and suicide prevention and, and what charities are out there for people and what options people have when it comes to looking for support in their most darkest times. Um, so look out for that episode. But thank you both for um, for taking part. You know, it, it really appreciate you. Can I um, just say on. one last thing? Of course, Andy, Matt. yeah. Um, if you're listening to this and you're worried about someone you love, reach out to them. It's not just about you looking after your own as well. You look after those around you. Yeah, can't, can't agree more. Absolutely. Um, something, you know, hopefully, if, if not by this, it just gets the mind thinking, actually, you might identify something in somebody else where you realise that they might, mm. they might not be okay. And um, let's just get the conversation going. You know, we can slag each other off on Twitter all the time about whether Nuno got the tactics right. <laughs> and please do please continue to do that but let's just look out for each other and you know let's make life easier for each other in that respect if you are going through things and you do need to talk slide into slide into my dms if you need to you know we can we can we can sign and i can signpost you in the right way i'm sure the same echoes for everybody on this call thank you to sam evans for his help on the podcast as well and to rachel smith from walls foundation um listen out for the next episode and um in the meantime in between time just look after yourselves, speak to somebody, you know, if you are feeling that you, your mental health isn't in a, in a good place, there is support out there for you. And if three idiots like us can talk about it, you can talk about it. So for now, uh, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Adam. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Andy, goodbye. See you later, everyone. Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.